Higgins. Hey, Higa, like Higa, Higa. Radio legend, music icon, Higgins of Australia. Jeez. That's what you make festivals. You've been on radio for thousands of years. <laughs> well, you started well. Thousands <laughs> of years. Thing. Thanks you so much for making me feel old, mate. But I appreciate it. That, that's that's a that's a compliment. Where I come Thank from, you. where where time is infinite, thousands right. of years is a state of your expanded consciousness. Right. <laughs> Expanded consciousness, spiritual thing. shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, nah, nah. Um, So, what's been new in your world? Give me some. What's what's real in your world at the moment? What, what's exciting you? What's scaring you? The yes. things that um, that gives me life, and the things that makes me excited are um, hearing new music and promoting new music. You know, especially Australian stuff. Yeah, um, which I did. For, I've done for ages. You know, I did that. Years ago when I was working at Fox, um, did a show with Cecilia. You know Cecilia, of I course, do. yes. Um, voiceover extraordinaire. But um, we did a show called Australian First together. And, you know, you get to meet all the great Australian artists and promote their music. And then when I flipped over to Triple M and started Distortion, which was my heavy metal hard rock show, I got to do it all again. So, wow. Yeah. What, what did you what did you enjoy more? I suppose it would have just been a new challenge, but doing your rock and roll was your heart, right? Yeah, rock music I think is definitely yeah where the heart is because that's what I grew up listening to. My brother's twelve years older than me, mm. and so like most people, you, you you rifle through his records and his CDs and well, not his CDs back then, but mm. yeah, and you're just picking up albums and going, "How cool is this?" I have no idea who this person is, but you just you're so captivated by it, you've got to put it on, and then you hear that crackle, that warm crackle at the start of an mm. album, and you know the music starts and and the the person that's coming to my head when I think of that is like Alice Cooper um, because he had the big makeup on and it was a big triple fold album I can't think of the name of the album now but mm. um, you open it up and then it had another little like a pop-up book almost in you open it he was in an asylum mm. in a straitjacket and I thought who is this crazy guy yes and uh, yeah so it set me on my path I think and what would charm you to the nutsness of it like why were you charmed to the crazy crazy crazies I don't think it was attracted to the crazies i think it was just i'd never seen anything like that and i'd wondered what it was it was the same with um queen and news of the world where the cover is a robot reaching through the top of a stadium and and stealing the the, the musicians um because it was just so sci-fi so far-fetched and so out there uh, i i just went this is this is wild you know mm. because the first album that i bought was chipmunk punk in right. you know 1980 or whatever it was yeah and it was just Alvin, Simon, Theodore standing on in front of a brick wall trying to look all punk. And it wasn't punk at all. You know, they were covering Blondie and they were covering uh, Tom Petty. It wasn't punk at all. That was your first album? It was the first one I bought with my own money, yeah. <laughs> that and the single of Split Ends, Six Months in a Leaky Boat. Right. Yeah. And so what, what do you think, if you, if you had to go like more on a deeper level of what it is about music that grabs the soul or or the theater of it or the is it telling a story of something that we we can only feel but we don't talk about often or something so liberating about music right what 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 was your earliest memory of why you fell in love with it um i mean it's totally personal for everyone uh, and that's what makes it great but there is an underlying thing between certain artists that unites people and i think that's the thing it's universal um there's no language barriers even though you know most of the music that we hear is in english but Mm. it doesn't matter because it transcends all that and Mm. it unifies people and that's what i love about it Mm. Uh, but i especially liked 
listening to anything that had theatre in it. It's funny you bring that up. Like there's a song, uh, Breakfast at Sweethearts um, by Cold Chisel and just the whole reading the lyrics along with the song and, and getting that picture in your head about where this person is in their life and how they got there and what they're doing. And that's great songwriting though as well, great lyrics. And that's what got me into Queen as my favourite band is mm. because mm. the stories, mm. that's what it was. It was escapism, total escapism. Yeah, that got me into mm. certain bands. And that's why I love it, because you can just draw whatever you want from it. You can just totally switch off, mm. you know. Yeah, funny, isn't it? And, it? and I suppose it's like the themes, I find the theme or the genres is what kind of determines a bit, it says a bit about where you're at mentally, because I was speaking for myself, like I grew up listening to punk rock, loving punk rock, but a lot more, more modern versions of punk rock, like a bit more poppy and happy. and mm -hmm. But... um you know, well, like simple plan. <laughs> no, 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 Higo. More like bullet for my Valentine. No, right. no, 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 no. Bullet for my Valentine. A lot of like lost profits, bling one eighty two, um, brand new matchbook romance. A lot of kind of like a bit, I suppose, more a bit more emotional punk rock. So yeah, not not as aggressive as like Dead Kennedys or no, Bad or Brains Ramones, and things no. like that. No, I wasn't hardcore. I okay. love um, Fugazi and stuff. Oh, great band. But, yeah, 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 but not. That they were more like the twenty percent. The eighty percent was more like catchy. Like story of the year was one of my favorites. They're just like really catchy but heavy. Um, but the essence of it was just like almost this angst or this um, fuck, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's saying it like it is, screaming your emotions, mm. and um, and I found that liberating because when I looked around, everything was boundaries and, mm. and, and, and politically correct and considered and the social norms were like that. And it, it agitated me because I felt like it, it was like a, a spiritual jail of sorts. Cause, so I, I think that's, that's why I found liberation and attraction in it mm. um, and that why I like playing in a band when I was young because it's like that. You embody that. Oh, absolutely. I, I should have prefaced it that when I was getting into the stuff of my brothers, like I was six and seven, eight years old. Oh, really? Yeah. Real young? Yeah, yeah. That's um, why when you, when you say you got into chipmunks, you weren't 18. No, no, <laughs> I was five or six. So, um, But I, but when you talk about that, you, you're talking about your teenage years, your formative years, and that's where you really connect um, with a lot of music. Mm, and mm. and if, if I was going down that path, it was when I started high school, I wasn't really into metal. Um, I was into more... Even though I was listening to Queen, and they cover every genre possible, I just thought of them as Queen. Mm. Um, but I did listen to Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin, but again, I didn't see them as metal. Yeah. I saw them as rock and roll, you know. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I got to high school that people started introducing me to uh, Metallica and Anthrax and the, the whole Bay Area thrash scene of Testament and these, and I was like, Wow, and then you get a thirst for it, and I was trying to seek out the heaviest and darkest stuff I right. could because, you know, you're in that transitional period of your life going from a boy into, you know, your voice going like, ah, yeah, yeah. and you're trying to sing along with this stuff. <laughs> so I think it was finding myself and finding my position in social circles, I guess, you know, who I like to hang out with. And, and there's so much culture in it as well. That's, that's, that's the thing, yeah. Like when you look at those environments, like it was the Southern California punk rock scene that enticed me. Yeah. And and, and so like, so what was the location of? Uh, the Bay Area in San Bay, Francisco. So San Fran, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and you, you see the shows and the photos and the vibes and the energy of it all and it's like a real, like a movement almost. Mm. And I think that's what, and then you create your own version in your own town of your own friends that like the same thing. And it's it's the community of it. 
it becomes a community, doesn't it? Mm. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You definitely feel part of a gang. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and not in, not in a bad way, but it's like you feel like you feel like you've found people who understand you when they understand the same music as you do. Totally. That's you know exactly what I mean? What they, yeah. You just go, you get it. Yeah. So you must be all right. If yes. you understand this, you must be all right. Yes. We can be friends. Yeah. You know? And, and that's the other great thing about it, you know? It, it brings people together. Yeah. You know, there was a guy in my high school, Scotty his name was, and he was kind of a new kid um, later in the piece around year 10. And he came to school and he was a skater and that's how we connected. Believe it or not, I used to be a skateboarder. Yeah. Um, and that's how we kind of connected. But then we were, we're sort of diving into each other's brains and going, hey, do you like this? Oh, I'd never heard of them. Oh, no, you should hear, listen to this tape. And we swapped tapes and then we mm. both sort of grew our appreciation. Mm. He got me into Dinosaur Junior. He got me into The Meanies, a local band I hadn't heard of and just amazing stuff, you know? So that was really cool. Through our love of skating, we both got into, you know, these different bands. So, so cool. Yeah. And so I've, I wanted to jump to different areas. I'm going to choose one. Um, what? It, so when you started working in radio and interviewing these bands that you admired and loved, mm. like Metallica and Foo Fighters, what, what, can you tell us some of, the, some of those moments where you connected with those artists one-on-one, interviewing them or those kind of moments and what they felt like or... Or was it a slow ramp or did was there any kind of like big, holy fuck? Well, I was kind of lucky in the fact that um, a band that I really got into in the 90s was The Living End. Yeah, How good are they? Uh, brilliant. Um, and I went to school. My school, my high school was like two kilometers from where Chris and Scott went to school. Right. And because they were so close, we had mutual friends. Wow. And, you know, I met them in 91 yep. when they were playing a battle of the bands. At their high school. Crazy. Yeah. So we've been friends since then. That's crazy. And so when you finally, you know, when I finally got to a stage where I was interviewing them, it was very surreal because it was like, I know know you. Yeah, I know you, but now you are just taking off. So that was a kind of cool thing. And I was really proud of them and you do get proud of them. And I love to see that, you know, they've crushed it the world over. Oh my goodness, man. I cannot... I, I, they were like one of my favorite bands growing up, Blink-182, Weezer, and The Living End. Mm. And I saw them in Birmingham Academy in, in uh, Midlands in England. And I just remember, this, you know, some memories stick with you, but like I was waiting for ages front row and my kneecaps were up against the fence of the um, front row. And yeah. I felt like my kneecap was pushing through perfectly on the knee. I don't know why this memory sticks with me because of the pain, because it's... Um, um, Chris kept looking at it, <laughs> looking at my knee. Uh, is it probably looked like you were going through like spaghetti <laughs> through the fence. Yeah. Um, but I just remember going to their shows, sweating your tits off and just like, so, they're so catchy and yeah. so fun and so punk though. Yeah. Uh, One of the tightest bands you'll ever see live, like yeah. just ferocious and on point all the time. Mm. So I'm going to see them on Wednesday night. How many times have you seen them total? Like four hundred or something. Yeah, I lost yeah. count. Yeah. yeah, that's so fun though that you you went along the journey with them. Yeah, and I'd go and see them whenever I can because I, you know, I am genuinely a fan, not just mm. someone who's known them for a long time. I, I'm genuinely a fan of what they do. I, that must ha- be a special connection to have though when you like you're such a fan and then you're also friends. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's so pretty cool. cool. Yeah, before the last album came out, and this is going to sound braggadocious or whatever. Oh, but, brag away. But before um, the last album came out, I, I just gave him a buzz and I said, are you up for doing a, a chat for the podcast? 
And, of course, I said, yes, where do you want to do it? I'll come to the studio and we'll do it there. So I've gone in, interrupted them recording to do podcasts, and I did, I did three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke to Andy and then Chris and then Scott and then kind of had one each week, much asking the same sort of questions just to try and meld it all together. Mm. But that sort of access, and then just going and sitting in the studio while they do their thing, and you're just sitting there just going, I'm watching it happen. I'm watching the magic happen. And it's a privilege, like a massive, massive privilege. You're the only person in the audience yeah. in those sessions. Yeah, because, you know, Woody the engineer, he's just, you know, a legend and mm. he's doing what he's doing. And the so other guys. Are... He's just a shit tired. No, no, no. He's, <laughs> he's a legend and, and everyone else is doing their thing. And I'm just sitting there going, like, I was a kid in a candy shop. Oh, man. But the same thing happened with, and this is a weird one. This is more of a, because I had a crush on her. Yeah. Um, Super Jesus is a band that I've loved from the very beginning. And, uh, they were playing a gig in St Kilda and they were supporting Veruca Salt. And a friend of mine and I went along and, <clears throat> man, it was the best. This had to be early eight, 98 or something. It was a mad gig and I've been a fan ever since. And then, you know, eventually, because of radio, paths cross and Sarah was doing a solo thing. Jeez, it had to be 2005 maybe. Mm. It could have been earlier. I don't know. I can't mm. remember. But, you know, we go along and then all of a sudden you're hanging out with them and them and Body Jar was another band oh, that I dug. Great. And then, you know, now I'm friends with them as well. And because oh. of radio, it's afforded me all these to close in on these admiration and it turns into friendship, you know, and that happens with people from overseas as well. Um, and you've got good reason to connect. Yeah, that's it. And I think, you know, after when you start, you, you, your interviewing sucks basically, because you don't know what you're doing and mm. you're feeling your way through and that's that's just the way it is. So you look to people like Andrew Denton, for me, is just next level. Um, his sincerity, his research, and I'm sure he has a team of researchers, but mm-hmm. the way he conducts an interview is so organic and it's so, you know, easy and he puts people at ease and he manages to get things out of people that they didn't expect to do. Mm. And so... I, I took cues from what he did, and I obviously didn't try and emulate him directly because you can't. Mm. But I tried to change what I was doing. Like I would write a, que- a rundown questions, mm. and they were there for emergency. Mm. You'd sort of start with one or two, and then just sort of drift away. Mm. And then if something in the conversation triggers you to think about it, you go back to that interview sheet and go, "Okay, this is." I actually wanted to talk about that, yeah. and then you can pick it up. So the other thing that, you know, um, afforded me these great relationships was Soundwave, getting on there. Mm. And, and again, distortion because the radio uh, – sorry, the record reps didn't really have an outlet anywhere apart from Triple J who were doing an amazing job with it and community radio stations who had heavy shows, but they didn't have a commercial voice. Mm. So doing that, I was inundated with all these people coming. So good. And then you get to make friends with like – it's so bizarre. This is a bizarre one, right? And I still fanboy about this a little bit. Chris Jericho, I'm sh- sure you know. The wrestler. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Also has a band called Fozzy, which he's been doing for years and years and years. Okay. Excellent band. Great guy. And so I met Fozzy, you know, along oh, – Fozzy. I met Chris Jericho along the way. Mm. And um, now his number's in my phone. And – my housemate and I have been watching him as a wrestler for years and years. So, so something came funny. up. Oh, yeah, he's doing a um, like a big wrestling and heavy metal cruise in October this year. And uh, my housemate goes, 
do you reckon we should go? I said, mate, we should go. I'll, I'll find out if we can get a, you know, a sling on tickets kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah. I messaged him. He goes, I can't believe you're messaging Chris Jericho. And I said, yeah, it's kind of weird that that happened. Oh, I thought you said Chris said that in reply. No, 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 no. <laughs> I can't so, believe you're messaging me. No, 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 no. He's my housemate. So like, yeah, I can't yeah, believe you yeah, got yeah. his number. Yeah. And I said, well, yeah, he gave me his number. Yeah, awesome. And his words were, once you're in the family, you're in, you know. And I thought, that's very humbling. You're in the walls of Jericho. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. But it's like with people like that and Slash, and when they remember you, it's really, it really makes you feel good. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and yeah. I could I've, – I've lost count of how many people oh. that I've been fortunate enough to chat with, but – there's probably a handful where you go, I can't believe that they know who I am when I've been admiring them for years and years and mm. all of a sudden they actually get to stay in touch and, mm. and you go, wow, that's so cool. You're in the game. It's very, very humbling. It's very, very surreal. And I never take it for granted Yeah, because, um, yeah, I'm still a fan. It's special. I'm it's a beautiful. fan first and foremost, you know. It's just cool that you get to chat to them when you see them and they go, oh, hey, how are you going? And they mm. care. That's, that's very, very cool. And what were those moments that you t- took from old Denton about getting under the skin or deeper layers or pulling, out of, pulling something out of someone that they didn't expect? Like, were there any key methodology in that or that wasn't the takeaways as such? That was um, a natural thing. No, yeah, I wasn't looking on how to do that. I, was, I just admired the fact that he somehow did it. Mm, mm. Um, and I thought if I could do that, it would have to. I would, I would never wanted to be someone who would speak to someone and 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 look for a headline, mm. like um, just say someone's crashed their car and they got in an accident and like, were you drunk when you? Why you know? And people get very aggressive, and that's mm. what I like about Denton. He's calm, very soft, very soft, yeah. you know, and endearing. And I think that's that's the most important thing. You know, mm. these people are letting you into their lives for a moment, mm. have a conversation. Mm. Mm. Just that was the big takeaway. Don't be like everyone else. Mm. Have a conversation. Don't don't. Um, mm. What's your favorite color? What's in your fridge? Mm. Who cares? <laughs> you know, just get to know the person, and that's that's the cool thing. Yeah. And someone who who keeps coming back is is Dave Grohl because you mentioned him earlier. But yeah, yeah man, he, I'm sure you've met him along the way with in your travels. Uh, I, he gave me the middle finger on a Skype that I was setting up for Hamish and only once. That's nice. Um, but that's my only interaction with him. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he's but it very, was a cheeky one. It was like, hey. Yeah. And, it, and for that for that split second, I felt like I was in him. That's it. Like, yeah, you know, like I was like the whole uh, tunnel vision. Mm. <laughs> I mean, he's such a lovely guy and unaffected. Yeah. And when you do meet people like that, that's the coolest. Mm. Those ones who are just totally unaffected and mm. appreciate you mm. wanting to talk to them. Mm. Well, it's kind of a bit like um, Ed Sheeran's like that, like someone that, that we, we've done a few videos with, and he's seen. He's just got that beautiful normality, mm. <laughs> almost strikingly, like shockingly normal, c- given the parade that's around him. Mm. Um, it's yeah, funny. You, you've worked with him on a few things. He did that um, two dollar peep show, two dollar peep show, which was um, brilliant. Yeah, that was. How yeah. many massive international stars would actually go for something like that? I know. Yeah, he's such a legend. With this festival that you organise, and what's the motivation behind that, and what, why are you moving into? You've done festivals for a while. Is this, this the second year for this one? Well, after I left Triple M, um, which is a nice way of saying I was sacked, um, I just wanted to continue the support for the bands that I'd given on Distortion the show, and so 
the best way to do that was to try and organise gigs where I could showcase these great mm. bands. Mm. And so I went to James Young at Cherry Bar and said, look, I've got this idea. I know you don't normally do a lot of metal stuff here, um, but can we give it a go? And he said, yeah, we can give it a go. If it works well, we'll do another one. And it went exceptionally well because Melbourne being the music capital of the world, it's, um, it's pretty easy to grab a crowd. Uh, and, and at the same time, it's difficult because there's so much going on. It's easy to clash. Mm. But, yeah, so it started from that. And then so I did about eight of those smaller ones where it was either three or four bands. And then he came to me and asked me one night, you know, should we do a um, like an all-day thing, start at 12, go to 12 kind of thing? And um, I said, yeah, let's That's do cool. it. Like I, he threw down the goal and I shit my pants. Like straight up. Oh, I was like, I don't know how to do this. So I'm ringing mates going, you've done these before. Hey, what do I do? Where do I start? And <laughs> And they said, well, it's the same as your other one. You just start small and blow it out and go so crazy fun. with it. So, yeah, last year was an unbelievable success, like beyond my expectations. Um, and, yeah, so... How fun putting that together. It's mad because it's a, it's a bloody long day. Yeah. And you're trying to make sure everyone stays on track. And you don't want to be the bad guy who goes, right, you, you know, stand side of stage, you've got five minutes kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. But everyone knows... And that's the great thing about working with these people, these bands. They've been gigging for ages. They know the rules. They know that they've got to help each other. They know that they've you know, got, only got a certain amount of time and everyone respects each other's space. Mm. And the, it's a, like we said earlier, the, the community is just, especially in the metal community here in Australia, it is mm. just unbelievable. Mm. There's no infighting. Mm. There's no we no should be politics. on before you. It's just. That's so cool. Every I, that's the most amazing thing. Everyone just think, helps each other. Why do you think that is in Australia in general? Like it's, it's, it probably is around the world as well. I haven't you know been to a lot of festivals overseas, so um, I would suggest because it's so outcast and so underground, um, despite mm. its massive following, everyone is on the same team. It's like I said, it's you're in that gang. Mm. It's like if we don't help ourselves, no one's going to help mm. us. So. Because the music industry in Australia is challenged, isn't it, in terms of making good money from it um, because of the small market as well in general? Mm. Is that not true? Is that, I've, I just heard that and it probably is, might be old news or something that wasn't true. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they make a lot of money off pop artists mm. um, and they do okay. Mm. But as far as rock band goes, that it's, it's exceptionally hard mm. because there are so many – and that's – one of the reasons why I used to butt heads with people at Triple M because it was I could see that we needed to support these, support these bands more and more. And we did a little bit. Um, Rosie and I used to do New Rock at Night and managed to get quite a few bands on, mm. um, which was excellent. And it's a credit to the station for taking that risk. Mm. But across the day is when we need to do it. Mm. Um, and that's when they need to be heard. It's kind of it's frustrating. And I can – and I can feel for the bands who hear a new song from Bernard Fanning that just gets added straight away to rotation because he's a heritage artist, as they call him. Mm. And regardless if the song is any good or not or charts any good or not, it'll get played mm. uh, in, in place of someone else because it's not familiar. And I thought, it's a catch-22. How do you get familiar if you don't, you know, don't play the music? And yeah. so it's ultimately frustrating from a, a rock lover working on a rock station and you're asking those questions, why? And um, mm. a lot of the time, you got blank stares. Mm. So, so if you look back on like let's say the last 
20 years of your life, what's been a moment where you were most challenged in terms of your inner world, in terms of your inner struggles or boundaries? Because like, you know, like everything we go through is ultimately comes down to our own mental capabilities. Mm. Um, so is there any times that you could share, involve us in on those moments that was probably one of the most challenging and how you navigated through it, how you accepted it, like how you changed it? Yeah, when mum died, that was probably the hardest thing that's ever happened to me. Mm. Uh, that was in 2002 and I just started working at Fox. Um, and I don't know, maybe th- I was three months, not even three months, two months in and she passed away. Um, and I had two weeks off work and came back and just stuck my head right into work and just accepted everything that was thrown at me and, and worked hard and and pushed it all away, you know, tried to run from it. And it was the biggest mistake ever. One, I didn't give myself enough time to grieve at the start. But two, it was, it was like, okay, um, you know, we want you to go to Sydney. Right, I'll go to Sydney. Uh, and then, oh, no, well, that's not going to work. Can you come back? So I came back and I did a little bit. Oh, we want you to go to Newcastle. So you go to Newcastle. We want you to go to Adelaide. So you move again. And so you're constantly on the run. Then back to Sydney. Then back to Melbourne. And it was 13 times in three years Whoa. that I'd moved. And I didn't think anything of it. Like I just had my car and a, an eight by five cage trailer. Right, time to go. Fill it up. Let's go. Hit the road, and then off you go. Yeah. And and I just kept running from it and and masking it with either with a lot of alcohol at the time or or drugs. And it yeah. was like they became your life. And uh, and I remember being back in Melbourne. So it must have been two thousand five or six and I remember breaking down at home one day and just thinking So like three, four years after. Yeah. Like what am I doing to myself? What is this? Mm. On the outside everything seemed perfectly normal. Had a great job, uh had great friends, had a good house that I was living with a mate, you know, sharing a house, had a nice car, everything was good. But I just remember going, This is not right. It just felt like a massive facade, like you like the the world that you had made for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Like I was in a bubble, and no one could see in. It mm. was just like if you had two tinted glass around you all the time. Mm. So from the outside it looks fine, mm. but the inside was a mess. Mm. And it wasn't until years later, um, I'd switched from Fox to Triple M, and I was at Phillip Island for the V8 Supercast doing an outside broadcast, and on the way back. Um, I had another breakdown and that's what I wrote about a few years ago um, and shared that online mm. because it was the scariest time and that's when I finally said I've got to go and see someone about this mm. and that was the best thing I ever did it was the hardest thing I ever did but mm. that was the moving through it and finally going you can't do this on your own you're never going to get there mm. you need help and I don't know, I'm not alone, but you absolutely feel like you're the only person going through that at the time. Mm. And that is the Completely. common thread with everyone who suffers from depression or anxiety. They think they're alone and no one's going to understand. And there is a myriad of people out there that know exactly how you feel. Mm. Like, exactly. <laughs> yes. And it is the hardest thing to put into words, that feeling. But if you're sitting with a bunch of people who've gone through it, you'll find the words, Mm. and that was the best thing I ever did. Right. And that's from then, you know, 
And I'd just split up with a girlfriend at the time, so everything compounded. It was like, mm. this is the end. This is it. I'm done. Mm. I'm checking out. Mm. And I'm glad I didn't, mm. you know. And so, so, you, so it was community support when you said a bunch of friends or just you just... It was family first. Yeah. Yeah, the immediate family. My dad had a feeling from a couple of years prior, he wanted me to do like these... If you go on to Beyond Blue, there's like a little test you can do. It's, it's not exacting, yeah. but it's a pretty well-informed kind of thing. If you feel a certain way, it advises you straight away to see someone. Yeah. And um, I did that and went, nah, can't be right. Yeah. That's rubbish. Yeah. So I ignored it. But, um, yeah, after it was all, you know, I got home from that trip and I, I went, right, oh, well, rang the doctor the next day and went in. What can I help you with today? And I just fell to bits. Yeah, right. Completely fell to bits. Like, embarrassingly so. You just, when you can't stop yourself as well, mm. you know, and you're just a mess. And he just sat there calmly. And he then he went through it and described what exactly it was that was going on inside. And so, you know, you wipe away the tears and you go, all oh, right, so this is, this is not, un, this is not abnormal. And he's like, no, this is, he said, you go to your work. There's probably half the people there feel the same way as you do. Mm. And you don't think about that. No, not at all. Cause um, everyone's got the tinted windows. As yeah. Such. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that's how I navigated through and it's been, not smooth sailing since, but geez, the waters have got a lot calmer. Have they? Yeah. But there's still yeah. like di- dipples or like yeah, fluxes? Yeah, of course. I mean, especially yeah. after losing my job mm. um, at Triple M and that was my life. Yeah. But that was also another tipping point because I was buried into four shows a day, or three shows a day and then distortion. That's a lot. As well. And again, I was I was running and hiding and I was burnt out. Yeah. I really was. And... um. Ultimately, that's what probably led to me losing my job. Yeah, you know, and um, so that was a downtime, and yeah, that's natural for anyone. You know, you lose your career, mm. and you think, "How the hell am I going to come back from this?" Mm. So it takes time, and it's slow, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Um, so we've, we've. It's interesting that I'm just observing that mechanic of, you know, in. in, in a massive impression on your anatomy, your mind, your spirit, your soul in losing your mum and then um, like kind of suppress it, I guess, or like don't resolve it. And then it bursts, like it has break, you call them breakdowns or like a big spike of like something beneath you trying to come out the surface mm. and explodes through confusion and tears. And then, then it goes again and then it comes. So it's like, it's some kind of energy that wants to get out of you it's what is it what in hindsight what has it taught you about the process of um i guess grieving specifically but the process of taking an impression on your anatomy by any way like of a stress of losing your job of a i hate you of mm. of anything anything negative obviously that causes suffering um or apparently negative that causes suffering um and and what w- what were your takeaways looking back like in terms of like if something happened to you tomorrow, you'd go, all right, now I'll do this. Yeah, I think it's um, those two are the biggest things that happen. The Well, three. The breakdown with mum while we're hiding it and then 
the breakdown that happened and then losing my job, those three things. And I've got better each time mm. because of the way you learn. You can feel it. You can feel it coming. And you go, okay, take a breath. Let's look at this. <laughs> and you kind of catch yourself. You parent yourself. Yeah, yeah. You kind of you kind of catch yourself a little bit and you go, righto, well, I know this is not going to feel good. Yeah. So how do I deal with it? Well, I for me, I just sort of go, okay. I take stock. I look back and I go, right, what's the worst outcome now? Okay, nothing. You know, we always build it up to be something that's never there. So you go, okay, well, look. Where am I going to, what am I going to think about what's happening now in a week? I'm not going to think it was that bad. So why not just skip that and think that now? And so that's how I kind of deal with it. And that works, that kind of mind trickery? Um, no, because you, you can't get rid of it altogether and you mm. do need to get that out of you. That's the other thing I learned. I need to get the anger out or whatever. Mm. And that could just be going for a walk, go play golf, mm. do whatever, just empty the mind uh, where well, you're not going to affect anyone else. And I think that's the big thing. And I actually learned that. I remember Sam Cav actually, mm. he, he, unbelievable. He's a producer on the in radio. He's yeah. He really loved beautiful man. It just at reach a lot as well. Yeah. But the way he can, if something bad happens, he doesn't flip out. He just goes, okay, mm. how do we go? Where do we go from here? Mm. What's the solution? Yeah. He which doesn't is, look at the, the problem. Best, best characteristic of any producer is calmness, right? Yeah. He's just such an amazing human. He doesn't yeah. fly off. But And the thing that he said to me once was, just remember, whatever you say will affect someone. So your initial response, you need to hold that, walk away, think about what you were going to say. <laughs> then come back and try and say it properly. <laughs> so, okay. yeah. So that's I, there's little things that I keep sort of trickling through my brain. Um, and I didn't realize that, um, you know, what I was saying could affect people in a negative way or the way I could be. My I didn't realize my energy could affect someone. Yeah. Because I'm in that bubble – I just thought that if I'm having a shit time, I'm, I'm, it's me. I'm not, I'm not telling you you're, you're rubbish or, you know, I'm not yell, yelling at anyone or, you know, telling people to fuck off or whatever. I'm angry at myself, mm. but I didn't realize that that dark cloud over me mm. negatively affects those around me because they can see that I'm not happy. Yes. And so they don't want to talk to you. Yeah. And they feel intimidated. Yeah. And, and I've. I got told that a, you know, a little while ago now that people found me intimidating and I thought, why? How? Yeah. I never see myself as intimidating, ever. And they say, oh, because, you know, your stature and, you know, if you're in a bad mood and they think you're going to get angry and I've never done that. Yeah. You know, so why am I intimidating? Yeah. And it's something that you... It's, it's a wall, I suppose, isn't it? It's yeah. any kind of wall that you put up... People are scared to talk to you if you're in a bad mood because they don't know how you're going to react. Mm. And that made me feel terrible. Mm. Yeah, so. I do that. I feel myself. I'm doing that at the moment. I'm in a bad bit of a bad headspace. And I've, yeah, I, a close one said that I'm isolating myself by being staying in my head. Like I need to just get out of my head. Um, because those that know you know that you are Jezza yeah. and you are up all yeah. the time. And when you're yeah. in a good mood – Everyone's in a good mood. <laughs> and that's what I got told about me. You know, yeah. when I'm, my energy's up, yeah. people want to be around you yeah. and you're fun to be around. Yeah. Um, but we're human. Yeah. You know, and if you try and keep that going, then you're going to be, you're going to be blocking it down, you know, you're just gonna, and yeah. then you're going to eat at you and then yeah. you're going to have those peaks. 
Yeah. Where you're just going to flip out. Yes. So you do need time for yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. And I suppose it's just how to navigate that time when you have to be public <laughs> or be in social environments or work when you're feeling low. Yeah. And um, I, for me, it's just like, you know, like a fake smart kind of. Yeah. Um, the facade goes up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just, you just, you kind of just coping, I guess. Yeah. And then it, the, I find the relieving points is when you just talk to a friend and just be real about something. You know, that's what I find the most helpful thing. Do you have people like that? In- yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, I do. Um, not in every area of my life, but no. But it is comforting yeah. to know there are. You might have two or three people where you can just go. Yeah. Hey, man, I'm feeling this, and just venting, and some yeah. of it makes it like feel angry. It's okay to feel angry, and then I feel angry because I, I didn't allow myself to feel anger for a long time because I had a mistake in my intellect thought that below it is sadness and pain and um and hurt, and which is true. But I still need to feel it to go there. I can't just like bypass it. So mm. I'm kind of trying to micromanage. Mine is just a tricky fucker, man. <laughs> well, blokes, I think we are, we're not really, we're not good at it. No. Blokes no. are not good at it. No, you know, we, uh, obviously, uh, most blokes see it as a weakness and that's why, because the way- well, we, emotions. Yeah, because yeah. the way we were brought up. Yeah. And I'm much more in tune with mine now. I don't give a shit. Like mm. if someone, none of my friends would ever tell me to suck it up. Or get over it because mm. I'll bite their head off and go. You know, you, it's your your problem, mate. You you can't get in touch with who you are, then yeah. don't worry about it. You yeah. know, yeah. I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. yeah, and I'm lucky. I have do do have friends who go, mate. Just come over, chill out. Yeah, you know, we'll just talk. Isn't it interesting? It says I've noticed that as well. Like, depending on who you go to or share. It says everything about where they're at, which is fine, and wherever they're at at that point. And there's times when, if I'm low, I don't give a very conscious response to someone that might be feeling low, mm. you know, because I'm not, I'm not on it. But, um, but that thing of yeah, making yourself feel better. Some friends have supplied that when I've been low, and I'm, I, I just know this isn't going to help. Like this is, this isn't the fix. This isn't going to resolve. Mm. And then you have other friends that just, like you said, come over, talk about it. Just blurt it out. Share. What, tell me what you're feeling. Mm. And fuck, that helps. <laughs> you know, I'm a massive advocate of just getting it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and whether that be, you don't always have to talk to someone directly about it. Um, I found writing it out. Oh yeah. As well helps, and it doesn't have to make sense. Mm. It's what the words that are in there. Write them. Just and it doesn't make mm. sense. Just get it out. Whatever. It, Whatever it is, scribble. It doesn't matter. Just mm, mm. keep going until you can't anymore. Don't look at it. Mm. Screw it up. Throw it in the bin. Who was it? Someone said something like that. You've carried that yeah. baggage long enough. Put it down. It's heavy. Yeah, yeah, dude. I feel that. You know? Carry Which we all do. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Do you have any um, kind of like, do you meditate or have any other kind of practices daily that you clean out the cobwebs in the old brain box? <laughs> No, but I have found lately I've got back into golf and that that would it does because mm. all I think about while I'm playing golf is how do I hit this right? Mm. How do I putt this right? I don't think about – and it wasn't until I, I came back from playing, I don't know, last week and I thought to myself, I didn't think of anything else. I didn't think of work. I didn't mm. think of relationships. I didn't think of another person except for my dad who I was tweeting uh, – not tweeting, just messaging – because he gets a kick out of it when I stuff up holes. <laughs> but um, but apart from that, and that's still talking about golf. Yeah. Like I didn't – four hours out in the golf course, I don't think of anything else. So mm-hmm. ultimately frustrating because I'm no good at it. Mm. But at the same time, man, what a great place to be. Mm. 
It's, a, it's an amazing place. Out in nature. How did you get into meditation? Because that was something that came along. Yeah, because oh, I um, essentially just got chronically ill, mentally ill, and I was just Googling solutions and if meditation looked like it helped. And then I did it. I basically told myself, uh, after a few revelations of like, I, I just, I want to live, um, I saw out how I would make that actually work and sustainable. Diet was a big one, eating foods that produce serotonin because I'd become vegetarian. Um, so I just had to go harder on that. And then um, meditation was the other big one. And I just, non-negotiable for nine months, I was like, I'm just going to meditate every day, um, every morning. And it just slowly, slowly just changed my neural pathways and de-excited my nervous system enough to give it rest and and heal and and just change my relationship to my thoughts more than anything else. It just made me navigate my thoughts in my eyes open state um, with more looser attachment, letting go of them as they come in rather than grabbing onto them and exploring them. <laughs> I mean, I can get intense like that. So, mm. um, yeah, so it's, it's that, that's why I care about it. And I, it's just a practice that's worked for me and I see it working and there's science behind it now and, um, and now you're teaching people how to do it. Yeah, yeah. So Which is pretty bloody ago. cool. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. It's fun. I do that for community though. Like the same kind of kick that you get out of the music community. Yeah. Like I feel like that with meditation. Like having a group of people that want to just be still for a moment and then just talk. And you talking after is really lovely too. Like what's going on in your world or what's your experience of meditation? Because you, you kind of it's kind of like a soft version of psychedelics. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you go you go into altered states of consciousness, um, transcendent thought. And so it's kind of fun to talk about that stuff. And it's a bit more rock and roll. Like it's fun exploring all the DMT, psychedelics, psilocybin stuff as well. Researching it online. <laughs> oh, yeah, online, yeah. <laughs> um, and all that stuff's really fascinating too. I did like a photo that you put up. You were teaching a class and you said, there's three people who are being still and there's one person who's asleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think, isn't that the ultimate? I mean, apart from people doing it when they're tired, but yeah. if they're that relaxed, they're falling asleep. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, it's, it doesn't work as well. You want it, no, you want to be, be awake. <laughs> That's generally the rule. Otherwise, they're just sleep. going into a yeah. yeah. They're just going into a dream state. Yeah, yeah. I did laugh though. I was oh, that's great. It's like oh well, you went there with the right intentions, and that was the first yeah. step. It's not. Uh, it's interesting what you're saying. How we got similar that similar kind of high energy, and then crushes like um, or like just the, or, or not necessarily crushes. It can be at some point in our journey, but generally like the lows, I guess, or the the other side of the curve and so i don't know what your experience is like in t- in terms of creating a more sustainable vibration in your body you know yeah to stay higher or, or not stay just to stay more level <clears throat> yeah I guess. um i don't my, like or maybe that's not your goal but, but my goal at the moment is just to get a bit more uh, get in a sweet spot <laughs> yeah my goal is to get off medication <laughs> yeah you know yeah. which has i'm slowly kind of reducing it mm. um or antidepressants. Yeah. yeah. And I tried a little while ago. Um, and they, t- they always say, that, especially the ones that I'm on, don't, don't just go cold turkey because yeah. it, it really messes with you. You need to go through these other like placebo type things and yeah. whatever the hell they are. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought, no, 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 I'm in a good spot. Yeah. I'll just let it go. And after about four days, I was like, this is not good. The head spins and the withdrawals and yeah. I said, really? oh, no, this is why they tell you not to do that. So, really? so you tried it. Now you know. Yeah, now I know. Yeah. Well, at least I gave it a go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then there are other times when you kind of go, I'll be on the couch or whatever, and, and all of a sudden you can feel that low coming. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Like a wave, and you're like, why? Nothing's happened. What's, yes. What is this? Yeah. Where's this coming from? And so what I've taught myself to do then is that's usually um, because I work from home quite a bit. I um, That's go outside. You need to get out of this. Yeah. You need to go outside and see trees and mm. see people yep. and feel wind and <laughs> sun, clouds, rain, whatever totally. it is. You need to be human. Yes. You need to feel something mm. rather than sitting in a house with central heating and mm. staring at a computer screen trying to think of what are you going to write next. Yeah. You, uh, you know, I needed – you need just to – you know. So you know now you got that so you got that place to go. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, to get out. And then so 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 that's your goal at the moment or your trajectory is just the good decrease. Yeah, and then- yeah, and get off them. Yeah, but um, at the same time, um, I'm not in a hurry to do it because I know it's got to happen when it happens, and I need to be in exactly the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's face, they don't really. My biggest fear before um, going on them was that I was going to change as a person, mm. um, and that just hasn't been the case, hasn't it? Yeah. No. So what has changed? What have you felt most significantly changed in your awareness? Well, here's the thing: you'd think a doctor would think twice about this, <laughs> putting you know a very large man on uh, antidepressants that accelerate weight gain. Right. So that puts you into a tailspin because all of a sudden I've put on 25 kilos, mm. and you're like, "Well, I'm already down enough," and mm. you. Now you've got lumped on top yeah, and it's right. like, well, for the meantime, I'll take the weight gain and go to the gym and, you know, exercise and stuff and everything, all my vitals are good and, mm. you know, I'm a healthy fat man. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the next challenge. That's the other reason I want to get off the bloody things. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but, again, thinking that I'm alone and a friend of mine speaking to a good friend of mine who's been going through the same thing and she put on weight as well and she's like, I thought it was only me. Yeah, yeah. I thought it must have been comfort eating yeah. or something. I said, no, apparently this, because I looked at my diet and went, this is not that bad. Yeah, yeah. What? I haven't changed anything. And that's what it was. And so. So that was a bit of a bummer. That's, yeah, that's annoying. Mm. And what, what, and what things mentally do you have a sense of in terms of like how it changes your brain state? Does it, does it feel like if you have a low, it's less of a low? And if you have a high, it's less of a high? That's, yeah, I think it's taken the edge off the highs. Mm. Um, and it's also slowed down my drinking, mm. which is good. Mm. Um, not that I was like crazy alcoholic or anything, mm. but, um, now I just, I'd rather be in a, you know, a more level headed, I still go out and have a few beers with my dad on a Friday, yeah. but it's a few beers. It's not going out and getting hammered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which used to be the case. Yeah. And I just like being a bit more with it the next day, and I find that helps. Mm-hmm. It's not that if I get if I do have a big night that I fall into a, a pit, but I don't know. I don't know if that's the medication doing that to me or not. But um, I certainly enjoy it more if I can just be social. Yeah. Um, and there have been those days where you go, "All right, I've overdone it. Mm. I don't want to waste the next day anymore mm-hmm. either." Maybe that's just because I'm getting older. Mm-hmm. Can't be bothered wasting the next day. Yeah, dude, I feel like that. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, that's a good thing. Yeah. And yeah, it does. So it does take that peak off. I'm less inclined to go, woo, you know, yeah. let's go full throttle. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I'd say it definitely picked up the trough a little. Right. It's, I'm not level Yeah. yet, but I'm kind of, I used to be like way up, way down. Yeah. And so now it's kind of a more gotcha. fluid. Good. Gotcha. Yeah. Great. Um, undulations rather than peaks and troughs. Yeah. Which is nice. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so nearly there, but yeah. not all the way there yet. Great, man. Yeah. Great. 
Yeah. So I, I can, you can't put a time frame on it. I wish yeah. I could, but yeah. um, you know, as things you know pick up, and that this has also been the thing. You know, I've picked up work more and more work over the last you know six months, six to ten months, and that puts me in a good space. And I think mm, going back does, to it? what um, what you were saying about how we were similar in that you know up and down, and I found that with a lot of creative people. Mm. Because if you don't feel like you're creating or if you haven't got ideas, you get down on yourself. Totally. Because you're normally full of that. Or if you're I've not got these great them. ideas. Like I find if I got well, ideas yeah. that I, I, I'm all right, but if I'm not outputting them, creating them, actually making them manifest, mm. I get real low. Like I, can, I actually get in a bad state when I'm thinking about all these things and don't do any of them. Yeah. That kills me. <laughs> because you overload your brain going, yeah. I've got all these great ideas. I don't know where to start. What do I do? And your yeah. brain is just going, Flat out, huh? and then you go right. I stop. Everyone, everyone, just take a uh, sit down. Yeah. Everyone, just sit down for a moment. Let's have a group discussion about where we want to start this. Yeah, yeah. And then you have that group discussion with all the voices in your head, and everyone talks over each other again. There's a poor bloke with a whiteboard marker going. We need to get to this bit here. And that's to me. That's like the difference between the feminine and masculine energy. The feminine's got this energy of infinite potential creativity, but like that takes a lot of fuel. That's taken all my fuel, so uh, there's no fuel left to actually make any of it. But but I feel like I'm making it. The feminine energy feels like I'm making it because I'm imagining it. Yeah. So that's I swear down. Like if I think about something that I would like to make and think about and think about it, I get almost as good of a feeling about it as if I saw it in action. You know what I mean? And you've never actually achieved anything. And I've never achieved anything. Well, that's not bad. You're doing all the great, you're getting all the great feelings without the work. Exactly. Yeah, that'd be all right. But, but that's what it feels like. I reckon, I swear down, it'll be like between 50 and 70% of the full experience. Of, yeah. But just because I indulge it in, in, in such depth yeah. and I spend so much of my mind energy on it that... And, and maybe there's something in it. Maybe if we really think about these things, it gives you the sensation of it being real for a reason. That's um, part of envisioning something, isn't it? So you can feel what it is. Mm. So the mechanic of actually fe- fe- getting lost in the feeling of the vision can be, oh, if you indulge it, it's fucking awful. Like, But then do you get that f- past that and you go, yeah, this is going to be great, great. And then you actually start looking at the schematics of doing something like that and you go, well, the logistics and you go, I can't do this. Yes. I'm in way over my head. I can't. That's why I never I do them. start to do this? Yeah. <laughs> what was I thinking? And then you sink back going, oh. Then you get the other guy going, I told you, back to the whiteboard, yeah, idiot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's the thing. It's mm. like you go to the logistics and it's overwhelming as fuck. Not fun. Not fun. And there's no feeling in it. No feeling. So like, so our ideas have got to be really simple. That's yeah. all I can, yeah. Yeah, that's, so that's how you... Problem solve that. Yeah. Yeah. So make simple ideas, minimal viable product, um, <laughs> basic, achievable little bricks. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I need to get better at that. I need to definitely. I mean, that's why it would be, wouldn't it be wonderful to have our, our own, like, me and you have, like, our own individual, like, business logical men that could execute the. That's exactly right. I got this great idea. Go and do it. Yeah. <laughs> Show me when it's done. Yeah. That'd nah, nah, that's not the vision. Change that's it like not that. It. Yeah, yeah. How, how could you, why are you not seeing what's in my head? <laughs> so that's the thing. Yeah, if you, but that takes a lot of resources as well. Mm. But and then that, you've got to convince people who are supplying the resources that they are good ideas and they will be good mm, mm. because no one will understand your vision and, and but yourself. Yeah, no one will have the passion for it either. Yeah. So it's like, I do. You, what's your? Do you have any methodology in in? turning off the creative mind and going to the logical mind to create 
or like switching because it's a very clear it's a they're very different <laughs> and it must be the left side right side brain thing. yeah maybe i i think the greatest example of that or at least in my experience is i write for a couple of websites music websites and um sometimes the topics will come up and i'll go jeez how do i bloody do that like wh- and and you're stifling yourself, and then I go okay, walk away, and then other time, and then I'll go back to my computer and I'll see something, a word or whatever, and then all of a sudden it's just get out of the way, we're on, we're writing, and you just go and flat out, flat out, flat out, flat out. <laughs> and so I think that's the first part. The logistical side is going. There's too much stuff here. Yeah, right. And then all of it took all it took was one word or a sentence or something that someone said, and you go, there it is. There's the eureka moment, mm. and then you just mm. go mm. and just let. And again, that goes back to just spewing it out because yeah. a lot of the time I'll just write stuff and, and then you have to reread it and you know first draft, second draft, and go right. Oh well, that's just rubbish. I'm rambling mm. and tighten everything up, and then mm. hit send and away you go. <laughs> so, what's what's your favourite aspect of your work at the moment? Like the writing, the organising, the festival, the no, it's still, it's still talking. being on air, yeah. being on air. Yeah. I, I you know. It is my absolute love. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one that I didn't know that I had until, you know, I went to radio school all those years ago. You know, a 10-week a, a course where you're doing three hours a week on a Wednesday and then just went, this is unreal. Why? What do you mean? Like, why do you, why do you like, like why the, do I the, love it? the medium of it? I love the immediacy of it. Yeah. I love the fact that you're in touch with the city you're in yeah. and people. And I love the fact that you can influence or help and draw attention to certain things. Yeah. Um, you know, like... And, and, and it it's so simple, isn't it? It's, it's so simple. You're just talking and you'd... It's just so good. And I love music. So yeah, it was all yeah. these things that was combined. It was like, I get to play music. Are you kidding? And you geez, this is all right. And, you know, I get to interview bands. Awesome. <laughs> I get to go to festivals, gigs. This is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> But yeah, moreover, you you get to talk to people who, for whatever reason, they're escaping their life. You would know this working with Hamish and Andy that the 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 cult family that happened around that, mm. um, and that and that happened because they called it the People's Show. Mm. They were completely selfless with the show. It wasn't mm. about them. Mm. It's always been about the people mm. and the callers and and you know this. Let's do it together. Mm. Um, and that's why we haven't we hadn't seen a show like that prior. People always com, um, you know compare it to Martin Malloy, but that was a different show. Mm. Um, and we won't see one again, I don't think. Mm. Um, certainly not on terrestrial radio. You might you might get it on uh, in podcasts mm. and things like that. Especially Tony Martin stuff is just next level. Mm. But that's what I love about it. It was it's always about sharing mm. and coming together. Yeah. You know, yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. the connection. Yeah, the connection. connection. It's, it's like, like something I'm doing is connecting with someone, mm. and it's powerful. Mm. And that's kind of a that's a rush as well. And a lot of the time, you know, you're in these little studios, uh, four or five hours a day, whatever it might be, and and you don't think anyone's listening. And it was always the most powerful when I'd go to my local and I have beers or whatever, and my friends are all you know unaffected by the whole thing. They don't care. And someone would say, oh, I heard this. I heard what you did with blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, they'd comment when we were doing uh, the rush hour with JB and Billy. And you think, 
Christ, it is getting through. People are listening and they like it. So, so cool. But it happens still today. People tweet me and say, you know, I wish you were back on Triple M and... And I'd say, yes, so do I, because it was it felt like home and all that sort of stuff, but that's the way it is and, mm. you know. What would be your dream media company, radio station, enterprise, if you had funding for creating, a, I suppose, a media brand that housed writing music festivals? Like, I mean, it could house wherever you want, mm. but like it, essentially if you could create a business um, or a radio show or... Like where would where would it be? Like would it be Melbourne? Would it be Australia wide? Would it? Um, it would absolutely be national. Yeah. In Australia, with a view to go overseas. Yeah. Drawing a strong focus on the the talent that we have here, both with music, with writing, with TV. We don't give it enough credit. Mm. The talent in this country does not get enough credit. So what's the closest thing you've seen to that that's been made by Australia? Oh, Hamish and Andy stuff. Uh, but like in terms of in the music business. Oh, in the like, music business. Like a TV show or a TV channel. Like, I don't know. If well, channel- see, Recovery was brilliant. You right. would have grown up with that. As, no. Did, oh, no, you, weren't, you wouldn't have been here England, then. Yeah. It was on the ABC. Yeah. That was great because it was thrown together um, to, see a, it, to see if it would work, you know, and you had a whole bunch of people who had never done it before. And it just worked because it was so real. It wasn't contrived. Mm. Um, but it highlighted Australian bands and, and international bands, of course, but every week they had bands playing on the show. And that's what's missing. And that's why after you see those, um, the miniseries on Countdown and things like that, on Molly or whatever it was, um, the people are going, we need another show. And a lot of people are looking through rose-coloured glasses and saying, why would you put that on, on normal TV when everyone streams everything these days? But then it doesn't really work if it's online because it doesn't feel... I don't know. It doesn't mm-hmm. work. Mm, totally. It doesn't feel like it's not the same event. That's right. It's yeah. not. You haven't. You haven't set a, a time. You don't have a, a bookmark. You don't have a, an alarm going off saying, "Be in front of the TV six o'clock Sunday night, Channel Two. That's when Countdown was on." <laughs> it's so funny that you we look back at like, because in this attention economy of like short, short, rapid, rapid, it's it's kind of like you look back at the retro TV with scheduled appointments and not choosing what you watch, but having to picked from a selection on a schedule mm. as a novelty retro kind of almost like had culture to it. <laughs> it absolutely did, yeah. Because And it was always water cooler talk, you know? Mm. Did you see so-and-so on recovery? Did you see so-and-so That's on... That's true. And if, if you're... It connected people more, like for, across yeah, the community. Because it's on TV at the same time every week and you no one can get their jump on it. No one can go, oh, I saw that last week. No one's ahead of the curve. Yeah, shit, man. And it's the same... But streaming's great because you can catch up on stuff. But I still think that there should be, you know, a TV show that's on air at a certain time every week so people can get the latest and greatest. And then two weeks down the track, put it online. Yeah. Don't put it online straight away like they do now. Yeah. Um, make people wait. So if you miss a- it, that's your fault. Mm. We gave you the opportunity to watch it live. Mm. And while well, that might not suit your, uh, your lifestyle, everyone's got digital recorders these days. Yeah. Everyone's got, you know, whatever. I just think there's a, yeah, there's a massive hole. Yeah, you know that that's something that that's what what I would have. I would have a TV show presenting Australian music, and I know there's been a few online, but yeah, there needs to be another one. Yeah, and w- telling. would it w- would there be anything, any kind of um, I don't know what the thing is, but like different mechanics that make it original or unique, or like um, would it be classic, just raw conversation, or would it be 
like making festivals and then making content around the festivals or it's a good question um because you it needs some kind of point heavy point of difference that's right I guess. it does if you just did another countdown people would go oh this is just countdown mm. i didn't really like the way they did that in the first place yeah. <laughs> um whereas recovery was very similar to that but they would have film reviews as well and little skits and bits and pieces going on so how do you do it in 2018? Exactly. It's a tough one. Yeah. Like you said, with people's attention spans that are mm. so short, mm. um, it's, yeah. it's very tough. It is, isn't it? It's just a different era. Like even the conversation around the water cooler is like, did you binge watch all the Game of Thrones last exactly. night or whatever? And then, it, spoiler, you, you have to leave the conversations because we're going to talk about the last F and da-dee-da. That's like, right. There's new, there's new social dialogue, yeah. social mechanic. My dad's just got a computer at home. For the first time, he's 73. Right. Yeah. Not the first computer, but the first time he's actually been really wired in. Really? We went and got him a laptop and a big monitor and then you know, got him online. <laughs> and I hooked him into my Netflix account. Yeah. And now he's binge watched uh, two and a half seasons of Narcos and I'm he's used all his that. data. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I've got nine days to go. I've got no data left. It's cost me 10 bucks a day extra. And I said, well, you can't watch it all at once. I said, you've watched 25 hours of Narcos alone. That's crazy. Yeah. In like three weeks. He said, you're right. As soon as you start watching, you can't. And I said, I told you. He's green to the the, the lure. Yeah. And I heard it from Netflix the other day that the, the, the complexity of which they make you watch more is phenomenal. Like, I don't know if you've heard this, but they, they basically like have different, like say if you... They know what you, colors you're drawn to, so they change the font of the show and change the imagery of the show. Like if it's a if it's a romantic comedy about dogs, mm. and they know you don't like rom like you don't, don't mind romantic romantic comedy, but you love dogs, they'll pick a dog poster image, and then they'll choose a font that looks a bit more like the ones that titles that you've picked previously. And wow! Like, so they've got like say let's say like you know hundred different title image graphics, yeah. then a hundred different um, images for the poster, then. Um, different trailers probably they'll cut and they tailor it all for um, for what, what you specifically. That's why when you create a Netflix account, you really got to... I mean, it, it doesn't seem like they're creating an echo chamber annoyances of Instagram and Facebook, but they it's it's a little bit similar. The only reason I feel like it's better is because the content's always fresh. Correct. So even if they're going to give you something new that you like in your area, it's going to be fresh. <clears throat> yep. The thing, fucking frustrating thing about Instagram is that you just get the same shit again and again, and it's nothing. None of it's really fresh. No. Um, and same with Facebook. Their ads at the moment are just flat out, and I'm like, what? What is with all these ads for? Like, you know, the Wonder Mop, and then I'm like, I've never clicked on anything like that. Why are you showing me this? <laughs> Little remote control cars, and you're going, no. You probably leave your phone in the, in the janitors, and then they talk about mops all day, and then so they t- pick up the microphone or audio of that. Yeah, probably. Yeah, you're who right. knows? Who yeah. knows? But yeah, the, the Netflix thing, I, I don't ever feels like it's tailored to me. But it's because your dad's was, watching twenty five hours a well, day. <laughs> no, but we've got different accounts on there. Yeah. But I, I wonder because I, I usually just go to stuff that I know and like. Hmm. Um, I don't often seek out something new on Netflix on my own. If someone says, "Have you seen this?" You should go check it out. Yeah. Then I'll go and check it out on recommendation. Yeah. It's very rare that I'll. You know, scroll through and go, oh, that looks interesting. Yeah. Doesn't happen. You would have loved that um, Jimmy Irvine, Dr. Dre Netflix slash HBO. Haven't watched it yet. Oh, you're going to love that. Really? Yeah. Just, just, as a, just as a 
in music. It, yeah, it's yeah. just a beautiful portfolio of music yeah. and just so well put together. Like That's why I loved it. It was such yeah. a beautifully produced piece because HBO made it, so they yeah, made it yeah. super cool. Um, what's it called again? The, the, the Notorious Ones or the... Yeah, something like the, that. The yeah, know, one. yeah, it's a black and white yeah. picture. Yeah, yeah. The Defiant Ones. Defiant Ones, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. so, so good. All right, I'll watch that now. Um, I'll probably go home and watch it tonight. Is it? Is it? What? What international scene of music do you like? Like you're well into Aussie rock. Oh yeah, I'm into everything though. Mm. I have a super broad appreciation of music. Mm. Um, you know, currently working on Power FM in Ballarat, which is a CHR station, so mm. uh, that tires me. But I do find little nuggets, and that was one of the reasons why I left Foxway back in the day as well, because the music was just doing my head in. Mm. Um, but you find those little nuggets in there, and you discover. Incredible songwriters. Actually, it was again from Australian, so I'm going to skip over. But <laughs> her name is Sarah Ahrens, and she's amazing. Um, uh, but yeah, from overseas, it's it's everything from uh, you know rock and metal to funk to mm. hip hop. Mm. You know, which is weird. I always feel like a fraud for liking rap and hip hop. Yeah, but what's not to like? You know yeah. when. When um, you well, know, NWA, punk and hip hop have always had well, similar, you know, when, similar energy. When NW, when I first got introduced in NWA, I think I was twelve or thirteen years of age in Easy E, and I was like, mm. "This is amazing!" <laughs> you know, huh? I'd never heard anything like it. Then I got into Ice T, and, yeah. and then it just keeps growing, and you get into all this other stuff. And you, but I always think there is nothing more. We used to do these trips. Side note: my housemate and I would go to Canberra every year for the summer. That's a big car festival. Yeah. And in the car was always – there was two two or three definite – there was three definite CDs had to be in there. Yeah. Had to be Cold Chisel, like a best of of some sort of CD. Had to be Snoop Dogg Doggy Style and had to have NWA in there. And I couldn't think of anything more white or weird <laughs> than two bloody, you know, mid-30-year-old blokes yeah. blasting up the Hume Highway yeah. with Snoop Dogg going at a million decibels yeah. and we're – Banging our heads and just so singing every fun word. fun, though, isn't it? It's just the best. It's so fun. You know, and, and I'm lucky my housemates ride into, like, um, you know, public enemy and stuff like mm. that. So, mm. yeah, he, he has the weirdest musical taste. Mm. He loves Midnight Oil and he loves NWA and he loves bloody uh, John Williamson and then he loves, you know, public enemy and you go, what? Where is the correlation? Where, how did you, talk about left and right brain working. Yeah, yeah. You've got a country music guy, then you've got gangster rap on this side. That's it's, crazy. It's country weird. music rarely goes with anyone else, anything else in terms of a genre pairing, like in terms of an individual genre pairing. I'm not a big fan of it, yeah. but I do pick out bits and pieces. Oh, I, I don't think it, I, it just. Do you like bits and pieces? Oh, there's little bits. like <laughs> Little bits, like two seconds at the beginning of one song. I like Johnny Williamson because he's Australian, so yeah. there you go. All right. But I dig it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, generally as a rule, the the country music channel on Foxtel, my place, does not get a look in. <laughs> no, not interested. <laughs> not interested at all. It just seems so... My girl's run away, my dog's dead, and my truck's broken down. Yeah, yeah. Re- rinse, repeat. But <laughs> yeah. you can say that about any Yeah, genre. yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's just so unrelatable for us. Maybe that's why well, it Maybe is. that's what it is, yeah. yeah. And that's why it probably works at places like Tamworth because, yeah. you know, they've got working dogs and trucks yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And mm. I'm a suburban and we rat. Got, we got, yeah, we got blinging bitches. That's... <laughs> no, we don't really, do we? <laughs> I live in this dirty burbs, mate. I'm yeah, all yeah. about that, you know, yeah. dirty metal lifestyle. <laughs> 
Well, Hig, yeah. thank you, thank you, thank you. This has been really, really Thanks, fun. Thanks, Jez. I reckon we could talk for hours. I know, I know. Mate, uh, thank you so much. It's been you. an honour. Thank, thank you. you. I'm so glad that you wanted to have a chat. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Big love. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>